We have a dog. Uh, his name's Louie. We got him from the Humane Shelter about eight years ago. So we think that he's 12 or 13 years of age. He's a, uh, the vet told us a schnorky, uh, so kind of a schnauzer Yorkie mix. And some of you are probably looking at me thinking, you look like a schnorky kind of a guy. All right. But that, so, so Louie's been a great dog, uh, but because he's getting old, he can't hear anymore. Uh, he's only got like three teeth left. All right. Great dog. So like, Tons of energy in the morning. I mean, it's like Christmas morning every single morning for Louie. And he sleeps in our basement, same drill every morning. He does laps around the basement when you let him out, sprints upstairs, runs around the first floor, and then you let him outside. A week and a half ago, it snowed, right? We all remember that, the day on top of all of our flowers, four inches of snow. I kid you not, this is true. My wife got up, she went downstairs to the basement to get Louie. She let him out of his cage, same drill. Christmas morning, he sprints out, runs around the basement, sprints up the stairs. He's doing laps around the first floor. You can hear, we have uh, laminates. You can hear the pitter-patter, pitter-patter. Goes to the sliding door. And this is true as true can be. Turns around, runs back to the basement steps, runs down the stairs, goes back and gets in his cage. Never done that before, ever. But that's how I felt, right? I mean, didn't you feel that way when you looked out the window and saw all that snow? I mean, I looked out the window and I thought, you know, I'm going to go back to bed. Like, I just don't want to do today. You ever have a morning like that? I mean, we all have mornings like that once in a while, all right? If it's been a long night or if you're anticipating a, you know, on a Monday morning, a long week or you got some big deadlines, you got some difficult things things going on in your life. I mean, you look out the window and you think, you know what, I'm just going to go back to bed today. Honestly, over the past year or so, I've had a bunch of mornings like that. And uh, you name it, COVID for sure, uh, politics, conversations about masks, and uh, all another day of bad news. Like, it's been a difficult year uh, for everyone. And maybe you've experienced the same kind of stress, had those same mornings. Maybe your stress is, is more personal. I mean, maybe you've been dealing with some difficult money uh, topics in your house. Maybe you've um, got some challenges and different relationships in your home right now. Maybe some scary things going on uh, with your health. Like any of these can lead to increased anxiety and fear and confusion. Like we, we live in an unsettled world. I mean, it's just unlike anything we've ever experienced before, you know, this past year. And it leads all of us at times. I mean, some days more than other to ask questions like, like, how do you navigate this? Like, how are you supposed to live through this? How are you supposed to lead your kids through these sorts of things? You know, what's, what's this mean for me as a college student or a, a middle school student? The good news is that we don't have to live a life of fear. We don't have to live uh, in confusion. Like, our God knows the way through. And, and I believe this. I hope you do too. That we're not just doing time here. Like, you and I, we're not just trying to survive. Like, God's got a plan. He's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for me. He's got a plan for, for our church. And, and as Christians, we can find peace and security and hope through our relationship with him. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 have been important for us this year. Kind of a theme, kind of a, a guide for us uh, and some of the things that we're doing as a church family when we read in Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. 
and who meditates on his law day and night. Here's where our keyword comes. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. We've challenged everyone here uh, to join us in reading your Bible every day uh, this year, uh, making it a goal to read cover to cover to get through the whole Bible. And while reading through the entire Bible is a great idea, the goal isn't just to finish it. Like, you know, the goal isn't just so that you can check it off your list every single day. But no, the goal is to fall more and more in love with the Lord. Like to encounter him each and every day, to begin our day with him or to spend time with him throughout the day so that we can plant ourselves firmly in God's word. Because what does the writer of Psalm 1 say? He says the person, all right, the man, the woman, the student, all right, the kid who plants themselves, who regularly spends time in God's word is like a person who plants their life by streams of water. That person finds life. That person's going to bear fruit. There's going to be health in that person's life. They're going to discover hope. That person's going to find direction so that they can accomplish everything that God has planned for them in this world. This morning, I want to take a look at another psalm with you. We looked at Isaiah last week. You know, we're reading a psalm each day as well. And so we're going to make a right turn today and looking at Psalm 119 together, uh, if you've got a Bible. And uh, if you follow along on your phone, that's fine too. If you take your Bible and if you just go to the middle, there's a really good chance you're going to be in the neighborhood of at least psalms, if not Psalm 119. And if you're caught up in your reading plan, uh, you've been in Psalm 119 for a few days now. Now, why so many days in Psalm? Well, Psalm 119, well, it's a long chapter. Uh, If you're not familiar with Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. It's longer than half of the books of the Bible, this one chapter uh, alone. And there's some interesting things, some very curious things uh, about this chapter of the Bible. It's divided, if you notice this or not, it's divided into 22 sections, kind of paragraphs or stanzas, uh, each for a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so there are 22 stanzas, each with eight verses, again, making up 176 verses. One of the things that I read was, what's the reason for this? Well, part of it was, it was intended to show that God's not a God of disorder or of chaos, but that he's a God of order. And some scholars think that David wrote it, others think Daniel, maybe Ezra, Uh, whoever it is, it was somebody that had some mornings where they looked out the window and thought, I'm going back to bed, like I don't want to do today because this writer had experienced some suffering, uh, probably some confusion, some hurt, but also had discovered something along the way that made all of the difference in the world for him. He's discovered, all right, and uncovered something that helped him better understand God and how to live a faithful life in this world. I'm not going to read all 176 verses of Psalm 119 today. You can do that on your own, but let me just share with you a few that I've highlighted. Maybe you've got some that you've highlighted on your own too. Psalm 119 verses 1 and 2, blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of God. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Verse 17, be good to your servant, Lord, while I live, that I may obey your word. Uh, Verse 41, may your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation, according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Verse 72, the law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Verse 89, your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. 
Verse 99, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 109, though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. Verse 116, sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. 133, direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. And verse 174, I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. Charles Spurgeon said that every preacher ought to memorize Psalm 119. I haven't done that, all right? A good goal, though, really a good goal for every single one of us to know the Word of God, to know an especially important chapter like this. And there are so many things this morning that we could address from Psalm 119. I did my best to kind of identify, I think, four observations that I want to share with you today that teach us uh, really, I think, just the intent, the aim, and, and the goal of what the writer is trying to communicate here in Psalm 119. Let's begin with this. The first one is this, that when we think about Psalm 119, one of the messages that it communicates is that Scripture, the Bible, is the Word of God. All right, that this, when we think about the Bible, this is the word of God. These are the words of God. That's what the writer of this psalm believed. He uses eight different words, all right, in talking about scripture. He refers to it as testimonies. He, he refers to it as law and precepts and statutes, commandments, judgments, word, ordinances. The, the first word on this list is the word testimonies, all right? We find it as early as verse 2 in the ESV translation when you read that blessed are the those who keep his testimonies, all right, who seek him with their whole heart. Now, the word testimony means to give an account of something, all right? This is what I've seen. This is what I've experienced. And so, we believe that all of Scripture is God's testimony, that he's the author, the one telling the story. Like, he's the one giving the testimony about creation. He's the one giving testimony about people. He's the one giving testimony about sin and his great redemptive plan in this world. The writer says this in Psalm, uh, or in verse 89. He says, your word, Lord, is eternal. All right? It's always been and it always will be. In fact, it stands firm in the heavens. And so, this is what is meant by his statutes, his law, his precepts, his rules, and his commandments. Basically, here's what it boils down to. These aren't enlightened human thoughts, all right, that have just come about over the years. All of Scripture is God's revelation and truth for us. Even Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples, friends, and an apostle. He writes this about God's Word. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul was another who had a very special bond with Jesus. He writes this about God's Word in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, I know that a lot of people will say, but I have a hard time believing that. 
And maybe that's where you are. I mean, maybe you've got questions. You know, you, you, you look at some of these things. You think about Scripture and it being the inspired Word of God. You know, and say, you know, I just can't get my mind around that. Or, or, or maybe you've heard somebody say before, well, I, I believe in Jesus, but I just don't know if I believe in, in the Bible is the inspired Word of God. That statement, even in and of itself, is in a contra- it's a contradiction, you know, because Jesus believed that the Bible was indeed the inspired Word of God, all of it. Uh, Kevin DeYoung's a great teacher, writer, pastor, and he's written this book called Taking God at His Word. And speaking of Jesus, here's what he says. He says, you know, throughout Jesus' ministry, he refers to the historical Adam and Eve, to Noah, to Abraham, to Sodom and Gomorrah, Elijah and Elisha, Naaman, Zechariah, Jonah, and a bunch more without ever questioning a single event or a single miracle or a single historical claim. And why? Well, because we have no evidence all right, that Jesus ever denied, ever doubted the word of God. He believed that all scripture was from God and for his followers and that we would be wise to adopt, to embrace the same conviction too. And so that's why we believe what we believe at Genesis. Uh, we want to model our lives. I and mean, we've kind of made this a goal for us. We want to model our lives after Jesus Christ. That there is no greater model or example to live by than Jesus himself. And because Jesus embraced and affirmed the word of God, that's our goal too. And so that's why you would read on our church's uh, belief statements. One of our essential beliefs having to do with the word of God is that the Bible is God's word to all people written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. We believe that it is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. And I'll just say this may be one of the most important questions you've got to wrestle with. And if you're not there yet, that's fine. But to spend time wrestling with this idea of God's word and what it is for us. Like to ask the question, to answer the question for yourself. Like is what Jesus and the apostles and the prophets and the psalmist here, what they say about the word of God, is it true? Is it indeed? Do I believe that it's the inspired word of God? Or is it just a bunch of man-made fairy tales that hold no real significance for my life? But if it is, if it is the word of God, then we must believe it. We got to live it out. You know, we have to accept it, all of it, as God's word and authority for us, which leads to something else that's important. It kind of connects to the first one. It's another observation from Psalm 119, and that is that the Word of God, when we talk about the Bible, when we talk about Scripture, we're talking about it being absolute truth for us as his people. Another of the words that you'll find repeated throughout Psalm 119 is the word law. Uh, We see it in verses 137 and 38 when the writer says that you are righteous, Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes that you've laid down are righteous and they are fully trustworthy. The word law is the Hebrew word Torah, all right? You've probably heard the word Torah before. Torah in its greatest sense means all of God's teaching, all right? All of scripture, all right? It's his revealed teaching. It's his guidance for his people. And so uh, think of it as something like a measuring device or a a straight edge of swords or even a blueprint. Here's what I mean by that. I'm fascinated. I don't know about you, but I'm fascinated by all of the construction right now on 37, you know, as they, they widen it and turn it more into a 
freeway or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, some of you that drive it every day probably have a different opinion of it than I do, all right? I don't have to drive it every day, but I just think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating how all of the different intersections have to work together to achieve the same goal. And so I was driving on it the other day. I was stopped at the stoplight at 146th Street. And I was looking down to where they're digging underneath 146th Street. There were a group of people that had gathered over a container, and I could tell they had a large blueprint laid out on top of it. You just think about how important that blueprint is so that the team at 146th Street is staying in line with what the people at 131st Street are working on together. God's Word works much the same way for us. It's like a blueprint of sorts for his people, for the church, by way which we measure things like good and evil. It's how we measure things that are right and wrong in this world. Verse 9, the writer says, How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, I want you to notice the distinctions that are made between purity in the first line and sin in the final line. Like, how do we know the difference? How do we measure the difference between what's pure and what's, what's sin? That's the word of God for us. I mean, that's what the word of God is to do for us as followers of Jesus. Like the word of God is our source of truth, which means it's not up for us to decide. It's not based on feelings. It's not based on my experience or even what the rest of culture is saying. And I realize that's not the popular opinion today. All right, that there would be one source, that you would be so arrogant to claim that there is one source of truth. And it's true. I mean, even Christians, even there's disagreement over this, even Christians today will, will, will question this idea of absolute truth. Because a more popular conclusion is to say, you know what, you're free to decide. Uh, you figure out what works best for you, what, whatever makes you happy, what, what works for you is all that matters, or you know what, you follow your heart in this. But how do you know, like, how, how do you know if what's in your heart is right and if it's good? I, I was reading about a, an interview uh, that took place a while back and goes back to the 90s, actually, back in the 1900s, for those of you who remember that far back. But uh, Woody Allen was married to Mia Farrow, uh, but left her after having an affair with Mia's daughter. And at the time, even the secular media thought that was very bizarre and someone as far as calling it morally wrong. And in an interview with Time Magazine, Woody Allen was, was pressed about his actions and, and asked questions like, like, how'd you know that? How, he, he, like, you knew that wasn't right, right? And, and questions like, did you consider how this would affect the child and their siblings and the family? Even asking at one point, like, how how do you not see the moral dilemma in your actions? And Woody Allen's consistent answer to each question was, the heart wants what the heart wants. All right, there's no logic to those things. The heart wants what the heart wants. But what happens when what my heart wants conflicts with what your heart wants? Well, who's right then? Who's wrong in that moment? What, what happens when our ideas and our desires contradict one another. One of the prophets, Jeremiah, speaking on behalf of God in Jeremiah 17, 9, says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
And so how can we find truth in conflicting hearts? Like, do we, do we really think that we're that good, that we're that intelligent, that smart? Like, how can you really trust your heart or mine? But when you make it your goal and your desire to follow the Word of God and the teachings of Jesus... Like we'll always know what's right and we'll always be able to distinguish between what's right and wrong because God's word doesn't change. It is consistent. It doesn't change with emotions. It's, it's not impacted by your wants or your needs. It's not going to change when a new president takes over. It's not affected by policies or, or popular opinion. I called it a blueprint. The word of God is also like having a map to help you navigate life, to, to go through life, showing you where to go and how, to, how to, to prevent you from falling into sin. And a lot of people will say, well, if I have to live my life according to God's opinion about what's right or wrong, like that feels pretty restrictive. That feels like living in a prison. But that's not how the psalmist felt about the word of God at all. In Psalm 119, verse 105, one of my favorite verses, he says, your word is a lamp for my feet. It's a light for my path. Have you ever gotten lost in the woods? Any hiking people here, hikers? You ever got lost in the woods? We, I, I don't know if we got lost necessarily, but our family, we were in South Dakota this past summer and we, we hiked this small peak, took a few hours to get there. Great time, a lot of people on this trail. When we finished, we discovered that there was actually an alternative route to come down, different paths. So we certainly, we took those first few steps and then we took a left instead of taking a right. And we had been hiking on a trail for about 15 to 20 minutes. And then we just kind of had that feeling that like, something doesn't feel right here. Like there's nobody else doing this. Like why are we the only ones on this trail? And so we went a few more minutes before we finally thought, you know, we haven't seen any markers or anything. Let's go back to where we came from, all right, and, and get back to the trail that we were on. And so certainly we did just that. C.S. Lewis once explained that God's law is like being lost in the wilderness when your feet suddenly find the path. And the path is narrow, yes, but that narrowness is not constraining. It's actually liberating. It shows us the way home. That's what God's law is like. It's a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. Can I say something to young people in this room? Kids, students, we got some college students maybe home for the summer. Really, this applies to all of us, but I think especially for you right now. We live in some confusing times you got a thousand different messages about how to live life flying at you every single day. And the world and all of its messages, it kind of feels a little bit like this, right? It's one big traffic jam. And you got a bunch of people going this way and you got a bunch of people going that way. And every once in a while you all meet in together and you got to just try and figure it out. And there are opinions about faith and there's opinions about truth and there's opinions about the environment and masks and vaccines and sexuality and just everything that has to do with life. It's a confusing and challenging world. I would love to encourage you to plant yourself in the word of God to become a student of the word of God. And I know that the Jesus way is not always the popular way. He never said it would be easy, but it is the only way that works. It is better. It is better for you because his word is like a lamp to our feet. It is a light for your path. And let me just add this. I mean, 
just because you've got a teacher, just because you've got a professor that raised a particular question of the Bible that you can't answer and I can't answer, all right, doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of smart women and a lot of smart men that have spent years studying difficult questions about the validity of Scripture. And if you've got uh, a desire to learn more about that, any of you, any of us, if you've got a desire, I've got some resources that I can pass along with you for, to you so that you can do some studying and exploring for yourself. I'll add this, like you can have your doubts, all right? You can have questions. Part of being a good student is to ask questions, all right? To, to be a, a, a student of a rabbi back in the day of Jesus, uh, I was reading one time that often when the child or the student would come home, their, their parents wouldn't ask them, what did you learn today? They would ask them, did you ask any good questions today? And so I want to encourage you, even in your questions, to become a great student, to, to be curious about the Word of God. And that's true for all of us. Like, you're welcome here with your questions. Like, I got things that I read in the Bible once in a while and go, I don't know what to do with that. Like, like I, don't, I don't know how that applies to my life. Or, you know, that, it's a little prickly, all right? It, it, it stings a little bit. Like, you can have your questions. Really, what it comes down to, though, is what will you do with your questions. And I want to add one more thing too. Just because the word of God is absolute truth for us as followers and, and as a church, that doesn't mean that's the case for your neighbor right now. All right? If, if they don't know Christ, you know, they're not called to the same standard that you and I are called to. And we got people around us and, you know, in lots of places, whether it be your company and schools, they're, like, they're not necessarily sitting down with the word of God and allowing the word of God to influence their decisions, you know. But that's what we're called to. Like, that's what we're called to as Christians and, and as a church. And so, be the type of person that when people look at you, they, they think, you know what, there's something different about the way that you live. And not that you get all rowdy on social media either, you know, or you got to say all these things or treat people, you know, hit them with a baseball bat or something, you know, the Bible and treat it like a baseball bat. That's not what I mean, but to live your life. I mean, the Bible talks about shining like stars, so that others see you and they wonder what's in you and ultimately what you know is it just God working through me and we may not agree we may not agree on this or that but you know what I'm living for the Lord make it your desire to live for the Lord what did Jesus say though you ought to, you ought to love your neighbor to the same degree to which you claim to love the Lord at the very same time and so we do want the word of God all of us to be light for our feet and for our path. Number three, you got to go fast. The word of God is valuable beyond measure. As I read through Psalm 119 this week, I was just moved by the writer's deep love and affection for the word of God. Look at some of these verses. Verse, uh, verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Verse 72, the law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. 109, though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. And 148, my eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. The writer couldn't stop thinking about God's word. Like he was consumed by God's word. I wish I could say the same thing. I'm not yet to that point where I can speak honestly about my time and just being consumed with the Word of God. But I will add this. If I had to point to one thing that has grown my faith over the years more than anything, it's my time alone with the Lord most of the time in the morning, reading my Bible, spending time in prayer, 
really just learning to spend time with God. And I'm leaning on his word to help me. I mean, my family, we're really trying to lean on God's word. Our church lean on God's word. You know, even through these difficult days and uncertain times and certainly more challenges to come. But trusting the word of God because it is valuable beyond all measure. I got to tell you about the Essenes. All right. E-S-S-E-N-E-S. This was a Jewish group. Um, I don't know exactly when they originated, but I'm, uh, but, but I know when they moved to, to what I'm about to tell you about was about the second century BC. But they mostly came from the priestly family in Jerusalem, and uh, they were fed up with uh, some of the corruption that was coming around the temple and certainly around the city. And so around the second century BC, uh, they took some of the scrolls from the temple and they just moved out of Jerusalem altogether. You know how some people will say, you know, I've had it with, with society today. I'm going to move out west and we're going to just live off the land. Well, these people, they moved out of Jerusalem. They didn't go west though. They actually went to the east and they wound up at a place over here called Qumran, which is in the northwest corner of the Dead Sea. And the Essenes were committed to ritual purity. The Essenes were committed to community together, but they also highly valued the word of God. And so they went out to this place called Qumran. Uh, I've got a picture here, and this is Qumran off in the distance, uh, the Dead Sea as the backdrop, and this is where they set up shop, and this is where they set up home. In fact, the Essenes would spend every hour of every day copying down the Word of God. They were scribes. If you messed up, you tore it up, you threw it away, you had to start all over again. Again, they were that committed to the Scriptures, to copying down the Word of God. And again, they wanted nothing to do with culture. Again, they had escaped out here. Some believe John the Baptist is going to come from this group, but they're out in the wilderness in this area of Qumran, and a couple of hundred years later, as the Romans were approaching, all right, to finally devastate Israel once and for all, uh, the Essenes, they hid these scrolls in caves, and in 1947, a Bedouin shepherd stumbled across one of them. We know them today as the Dead Sea Scrolls. And scholars have called the Dead Sea Scrolls the most significant archaeological find when it comes to validating the accuracy of Scripture today. Now, we can thank the Essenes, all right, for their commitment to holiness, for their preservation of the Scriptures. Uh, We can admire them, you know, and their commitment to them. Where'd they get it wrong, though? They valued the Word of God and completely separated themselves from the rest of culture. And that is not our calling as followers of Jesus. That is not our calling as a church. We are called to bring light and hope to this world. And you can't bring light and hope to the world if you're hiding from it. And so the word of God is invaluable and that it shows us how to live. And it shows you how to go and be a student tomorrow. All right, And it shows you how to go to work as a follower of Jesus and be an influencer and be a light and to be hope for your neighborhood so that others, when they look at you, they see Jesus in you. Those are the types of kingdom workers we're called to be. Here's the last thing. The word of God is God's story. This is God's story. How many of you, as you've been reading and come across long genealogies and details about a temple or a list of sacrifices, have you thought, what in the world does this have to do with me? 
Well, can I tell you something? And this may seem contradictory to a lot of things that we've already talked about so far. But while the Bible is for you and me, and it certainly applies to so many things that we go through in life each day, it's not really about you. And it's not about me. The Bible is God's story. It's his story of what he does and what he's like and what he's up to in this world. Jen Wilkins, a great Bible teacher, uh, she says this, it's tempting to read the Bible as a roadmap for our lives or as a guide for abundant living, but the Bible, strictly speaking, is not a book about us. Uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones, New York Times bestseller, wrote a book called, or she's the creator of the Jesus Storybook Bible. She says this, there are a lot of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and how he came to rescue them. She says it takes the whole Bible to tell this story because the Bible isn't mainly about you and me and what we should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. And the writer of Psalm 119 understood this too in verse 27 when he says, cause me to understand the way of your precepts that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. See, the Bible was never intended to be limited to this book to just make your and yours and my life better. The ultimate message of the Bible is that God has a great and amazing plan for his people. And at the center of this plan is a man by the name of Jesus. And he's the reason for the genealogies. And he's the reason for the sacrifices. It's all about him. And so when you read the Bible and wonder, what does this have to do with me? Remember, it's the story of God and what he has done for you. And what he's done for you in his son. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates for us his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ came and gave his life for us. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the point of this planted year-long series to get us, to encourage us, every single one of us, to spend time with the Lord each and every day so that we become trees planted, like trees planted by streams of water, craving Jesus more and more, learning to love God with all of our hearts, wanting to be like him, understanding our role and purpose and his great love for us. That's the story of God and what he's done for you. So let me leave you with this. Let me challenge you with this. Start reading your Bible. If you don't know where to start, again, we're in this series called Planted. You can read all about it on our church's website. Pick up one of our reading plans. Don't try and catch up with the four or five months we've already read. Just start with today and start reading on your own. Uh, if you started and you've fallen off, don't worry about catching up either. I'm two days behind. I'll probably try. I'm going to catch those days up for sure. But if it's longer for you, you fizzled out, don't worry about it. Just pick it up. Pick it up today. Start with Psalm 119. But again, the goal is to spend time each and every day with Jesus so that we learn to live like him more and more, experience his great love each and every day, and that we might never be the same ever again. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your great and your amazing love for us, that you've given us your word as a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. And, and I pray that your word would be a lamp and a light for, for all of us here, Lord, uh, for every single one of us, God. And uh, no matter the season of life, no matter the age uh, that we're in right now, Lord, and that as we read that we will encounter you. 
Um, I pray for those that are here today that got a lot of questions and a lot of doubts and, and are still exploring and seeking. I pray that they would find Genesis to be a great place to explore and to seek and to learn about you more and more. And uh, God, I pray you continue to guide and direct us. Our hope is in you. Everything that we need, we believe, is found in you and through your word. We praise you today. And thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.